Greetings, nerdos, and welcome to episode 14. We are almost halfway, people. I am your red shirt quality level host, Oliver Rockside. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you again for everyone who downloaded episode 13. I hope you saw a change because Natalie has joined us as an editor and it was just so clean and smooth and uh, perfect because I had to fire myself from being the editor. It was just that bad. Anyway, enough about me, kids. We must introduce our guest for this evening. And he is a returning champion, of course. He is a Star Trek geek and also pizza god. Doug Slater is back. Hello, Doug. Hello, pizza nerdos. Oh, wait, no. Hello, Star Trek nerdos. There we go. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I would say that they're interchangeable, but I may got a fight. You know, we may get a Twitter war yeah. for saying that. I don't know. <laughs> How are you this evening, Doug? I am very well. I just got home from work uh, and I just uh, had two pieces of pizza. So I am uh, I'm good. There we go. When Doug comes on, we cannot avoid pizza chat, people. It's just something you're just going to have to get used to. This is true. Uh, Doug, yes, Doug, thank you very much for, uh, I know you've had a busy work week, and uh, thank you very much for uh, sitting in with this episode. And uh, I don't think we have any housekeeping to do. I do. Well, we have a little bit. We have one piece that I, I okay. remember from our last episode. Okay, please. Where at the end of it, uh, I had mentioned that... Um, I would go back and rewatch Return of the Archons. Yes. And uh, tell you whether or not I still think it was an awful episode. Okay. And for those that were wondering, I still think that it was an, it was an awful episode. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't. I like it. It just grew on me. It grew on me. But it, you know, we like what we like, right? So, and I do have big, I, I do have pizza news if anybody really cares. I mean, I'm a little worried we're not going to talk about pizza enough here. Oh, come on. Yes. Pizza news, please. Is this the, is this the pesto pizza you made? This is, this has to do with the pesto pizza I made on the weekend, but really the big news is, and I cannot recommend this enough, is for Father's Day, I received a pizza steel, uh, mm -hmm. which is a big hunk of steel you put in the oven and you heat up much like you would a pizza stone. Um, yes. but because the steel, uh, conducts the heat so well, uh, it really, really helps to crisp up the bottom of your pizza in a regular electric oven. So I fire that baby. It's three eighths of an inch thick. It's like, I don't know, 16 by 14 in size. It's really heavy. Fire it into the oven, heat up the oven at max temperature. Um, for mine, it's 550 mm -hmm. for, if you can go an hour, do an hour. Mm -hmm. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, you throw your pizza on top of that uh, that steel. You hear the sizzle, and it. Uh, the ones I did on uh, on uh, the weekend, um, they were done in seven. I took them out after seven minutes, and the bottom was like mm -hmm. deep brown and crusty. I probably could have taken them out at six. So please, please never tell us that you don't learn something via this podcast. <laughs> we have. We have a pizza news flash, and uh, that is very important. As many people know, I do enjoy my non-cracker-like crispy crust on the bottom. So this is big news. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it was it was it was very nice to be able to get that sort of. Um, it means that I can actually go with a, a slightly thinner crust if I want to, and uh, and still have structure that that nice crispy structure on the bottom. So very good. Learn something new every day, people. Get your pizza steals. Yeah. 
It's a recommendation. Yep. It's a Doug pick, yep. as it were. And if, <laughs> if you go to, uh, was it atlas.ca or something like that, and use the uh, the, uh, the the coupon code, uh, uh, Doug is the best pizza maker ever, you'll get 0% discount. So so there you've been told, people. Don't even bother. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, Doug, I think you're the last person for me to ask this question, because we always kind of do have an interlude question, and this one is about the new series of Star Trek uh, with the movies and so on and so forth. Now, I was going to call it the, te- the Kelvin timeline, but that may confuse some people as we go along. We'll get there, people. I hate the new Star Trek except for Strange New Worlds. What is your feeling on it? Well, I think I've only seen one of the movies of the new Star Trek world, really. Mm. I-, I watched a couple of episodes of Discovery. Now, did you work on season one of Discovery? No, no, that was, oh, okay. they were starting that up just as I was finishing up on uh, The Expanse. Ah. So, but yeah, I've, I've not spent any time watching that stuff. And I've been thinking about this question, though, that you don't like that timeline. No. And um, I've been trying to think of, well, why, you know, how could you possibly be wrong on this? Because that, you know, that's our job. But I don't think you are. I, you know, we like what we like and we don't like what we don't like. But I, I will defend their choice to, um, to maybe change things up. Oh, I, I, de- I defend their choice. That, that's their, that's completely their choice. Yeah. I just feel that, well, there's two problems. It, it, it's, a, it's an out, it's a get out of jail free card for the writers. Because they can just start all over again. Well, but I mean, sure. But it also means that they can explore different things without being tethered to having to always answer to the internet about, well, actually, you know, like they can be a bit iconoclast, uh, iconoclastic in a way, which, you know, I, I feel it's about not being precious about the actual world that they're playing in. But you know, it's also they're taking a classic and something that some people really, really love. And you got to know that if you're going to mess with it, the people that really love it, they're going to get on you for it. So, well, this is my issue. When you've spent 56 years world building and you kind of have to look at Star Trek as world building. This is why we all go to conventions and stuff like that, because it's a different it's a different world to us. And I think that for some Star Trek fans, that's part of the appeal. I I liken it to this. Another famous world builder uh, who has hit the zeitgeist in the last 10 years, of course, is is George R.R. R. Martin. And if you did Game of Thrones and then came back 10 years later and said, uh, yeah, there was there's no dragons in the in the reboot. <laughs> like dragons never existed. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. I will also bring up someone else who is along the same lines as uh, as Martin, if I only could remember his name right now, <laughs> the uh, the author of um, in the uh, the name of the wind. Oh, uh, I can't remember his name right now. People on the internet are shouting it out now. It doesn't matter. Don't know it. It's a he originally um, decided it was going to be a trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's kind of like the grown up version of Harry Potter. It's about a wizard who. Mm-hmm. Um, who basically goes to wizarding university and he really built like he went through like huge amounts of world building, especially in his first novel. Right. The second novel came out. It was amazing. And now it's been over, I think 15 years since he's put out the second novel and he, 
basically is paralyzed with um, fear because he's worried about releasing the the third novel because people, ha I think, it feels to me like it, like people have enjoyed it and loved his world that he's created so so much, but he's worried about the response he's going to get if he doesn't live up to their uh, expectations. So I think that I think I think that having such a strong background or following or you know huge fandom right can actually at, at some point be very um stifling in terms of creativity and and so i think that in a way this was a good way for them to just sort of cut the cord and say you know what we're going to go on to our own world of creativity but mm -hmm. you know maybe they needed to have created something completely different uh, you know especially if they're going to remix the like from what i gather they're remixing sort of even the story of kirk and the crew so maybe that's you know that's kind of not what you should do you know because it it is sort of held so dearly by so many yes yes you know yeah yeah they've cherry picked some things and then added their own their new thing now your example of the author and it's the same with george r r martin is remember that there's 56 years in here yeah. And it's a completely new generation of writers. They are not under pressure as George R. R. Martin is to produce the next book or this other gentleman that you're speaking of to produce the next book. They've got it. They've got, they've already got carte blanche. <laughs> all we're asking That's is true. that they follow the show yeah. Bible. That's all we're asking. Anyway. Yeah. I, 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 as somebody who works, you know, creatively in a department, sometimes I just, the Bible really bugs me. And right. so it's like, you know, it, 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 it's almost like you're not allowed to have your own ideas and it, fe it right. feels like it some, sometimes, uh, right. and I can see it as being a, a knee jerk reaction to like, oh, let's just get rid of it and just do our own thing. But I, having not really seen anything other than the, the, the first, uh, of the, the time that whatever that movie was where the, um, with all the lens flares. Um, oh yes, JJ. That was Abrams the first one. Yeah. So I saw that yeah. one, but I haven't seen any of the other stuff. So, God, don't remind me about the lens flares. Jeez, <laughs> I actually didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Well, you have to wear sunglasses in a dark movie theater. Roll these <laughs> lens flares is like whoa. I I I don't know what the stylistic choice is about lens flares, but then again, I'm not a director, so I don't know. I don't know the deal. Shall we carb load? Let's do it. Okay, Doug. This one is an open face sandwich, and we begin... Now, these two episodes that we're going to talk about tonight are only one episode apart. There is... Uh, uh, the one we're going to talk about later is, I think, episode 18, and then 19 is Patterns of Force, which we've already discussed with, Steve, with Dr. Steve Cloutier, and then this one was number 20. And, Doug, I thought this was bad, and I, what I meant by... What I mean by bad is, like, average bad... But then I re in the rewatch, it's like, oh my god, this is awful. Yeah, we are talking about season twos by any other name, and my god, Doug, what is going on here? <laughs> I, you know, I. Well, first up, I'm going to say that actually, of these two, like these two episodes mm -hmm. of the Star Trek episodes that I have watched for this series so far. Mm -hmm. I actually like both of them better than the others that I, that we have talked about. Okay. Fair enough. But they're both meh. <laughs> like the, you know, that there's, there's, the, I, I, I was, 
this is particularly this episode by any other name, I was left very kind of nonplussed for it. Like it was like, okay, that happened, you know? Um, yeah. I, I just, I didn't get it. Yeah. It's Doug is being very charitable. Uh, this is way worse. I <laughs> <laughs> see. I, I, I was under, I'm like you, I was under the impression that it was meh, but then I, when I watched it and we must begin as a synopsis, is it the enterprise receives a distress call from a pl- apparently planet of the astroturf. Um, <laughs> The staging in this is ridiculous. And uh, these two aliens show up. We've got a guy and a gal. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Rojan. And he's played by an actor named Warren Stevens, who looks freakishly like Gene Kelly. Yeah. Uh, and I, uh, the funny thing about him was I saw him and I was like, I recognize this guy. I know him from somewhere. Right. I looked up his IMDb. I really cannot place him in any of the movies that, you know, or television shows that he was in as mm-hmm. being something that I had watched to any um, degree where I would say, oh, that's that's Warren Stevens. I think he was in an episode of MASH, yep. if I remember correctly. Yep. But, but you know, and then we have to get to Kalinda. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> this, oh. Is the, this is the only thing I enjoyed of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, really? Okay. This 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 Kalinda is played by a, uh, an actress named Barbara Boucher. I'm assuming that that is how it's pronounced. Yeah. She is Czechoslovakian. Yeah. Yeah, not her not her real name. How in the world did she get any acting gigs whatsoever? She got a lot of acting gigs. She is a terrible terrible actress. Well, she was she got tired of being typecast as the sexy bimbo. Right. Uh and in 1970 70, she moved to Italy and became one of Italy's like top actresses. Did she? It was mostly in like sex comedies, gory murder mysteries like, you know, like the B stuff, like the right. like going out of their way to be really gross and and scary uh body horror type stuff uh, and thrillers and stuff like that. And then she she posed for a ton of magazine covers and in 83 at the age of 40 did a nude pictorial for Italian penthouse. Doug, you are just a fountain of information this evening. Pizza steals, penthouse layouts. I I saw her and I was like, hubba, hubba, hubba. I was like uh, bones in uh, For the World is Hollow. And I I was, I had my hands up. I was doing the little kitty cat pose. I was like, (laughs) Wow, she was very, very beautiful, and the outfit she was wearing was just—it was just, just a, just, um, shall we say, uh, dream of genie enough. Yes, let, let's just say that her outfit uh, used a lot of fashion tape mm-hmm. and uh, was very, how shall I put it, structured. Yeah, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, everybody beams down to the planet of the astroturf, and uh, they meet. Uh, Kalinda and uh, and Rojan and they just Rojan and just comes right out and says we're taking over the ship, you know, and it's kind of like bite me, um, and yeah, yeah, it, it, this is a very nonchalantly just like stroll. Yes. And say, hey, how you doing? We're yes. we're taking over. Give us your ship. Now speaking of bad acting, oh my god, uh, I don't know what was up with with Shatner in this episode. It it was oh like he just give it up. It was just kind of like I don't give a fuck. One of the things in acting school, like day one of acting school, is the freeze technique. 
where you you are t- told to freeze and hold it for a particular amount of time, maybe a minute, 90 seconds, whatever. So a part of the big weapon that these Kelvins, that is the uh, planet they are from in another galaxy. This is why I didn't want to confuse everybody. Uh, they're reusing uh, planet names now. Uh, but uh, their big weapon is that they freeze people so they can't move. It's a paralyzer. <laughs> with, a, with. Oh, with. we're getting we're getting to we're getting okay. to that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. Of course, Kirk has a conniption of fit about well these guys taking over his ship. So he so uh, Rojan freezes everyone except Shatner. Shatner is blinking. He is moving his eyes. He is moving his head, and it's like I don't care. I don't really care. This episode is stupid. Like right from the beginning, I was trying to figure out like is like because I think they I think Rojan even sort of works in a line where it's like yeah you can move your eyes and stuff like that, but you can't move the rest of your body. So I think they kind of gave him a bit of a free will on that one to act with his eyes. I, I wonder if there was an <laughs> argument, you know, like Kirk was like, "Well, because well, I need to act with my eyes." Uh, well, because Nimoy and Kelly are like statues, mm-hmm. right? And even the two rando red shirts are 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 doing it properly, but yeah. Shatner, nope. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, they be so. Uh, these people take over the ship. Uh, there's like six of them who take over the ship and they have yeah. to go back uh, to uh, their home planet. And uh, which is a 300 year trip. Uh, so uh, they start outfitting the uh, enterprise left, right and center to equip uh, the vessel for this. And of course they take over everybody and they have the ultimate weapon is that they turn people into cubes. I am not, I am not kidding. Ah. I know. I, Not just a cube, a cube, a cube octahedron. Thank you. I was. I <laughs> either you or Steve was gonna was gonna tweet me about what it actually was. <laughs> but oh my god! So on. So because Kirk tries to escape from the jail that is miraculously made on the planet of the AstroTurf for reasons we don't know. Mm-hmm. Because he tried to escape, and because Rojan is all very you know leadership heavy. Uh, he says to Kirk that one of uh, your, you must be punished for trying to escape. So the two rando red shirts get turned into, and I kid you not, cubes. Yeah. They, they look like sponges. Sponges cut into cube octahedrons, which was just hilarious. Oh, my God. It was like, I, it was the 60s. I don't know when styrofoam was invented, but it was like styrofoam was the brand new toy to make something out of. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, poor, uh, poor, uh, gal rando red shirt bites it, uh, in a nod to sensitivity, the actual rando who is a person of color lives. Yes. She ended up the, that actress, Julie Cobb, uh, was, uh, married to James Cromwell for a while. Really? Yes. Uh, she played Magnum's cousin Karen on uh, Magnum PI for three episodes, and she was the mom in the first season of Charles in Charge before it got canceled. Oh my god! Yeah, wow. But she was cute. She was cute as well. But yes, first yeah. first female red shirt to be killed. First and only female red yes. shirt to be killed on the original series. Yes, uh, just she gets killed because her cube gets crushed. Yes, just to let everybody know. Spoiler! Spoiler alert! Sorry. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, so this is starting off really, really well. Spock now in a in an actual nod to continuity. Kirk brings up to Spock that he can mind meld with these kids because he did it on Vendicar Seven, which is what we talked about in the last episode, in a taste of Armageddon. So somebody was doing their research and actually kept the continuity. Uh, so when Spock mind melds with these uh, with these aliens, he finds out that they're they've got like a hundred tentacles and all this kind of stuff, which of course brings the obvious question: How do they fit into a human body? Ah, but they're powerful. I know that. they're all powerful. These people are so powerful. I know. I know that's a cheap. That's a cheap. It's a cheap question. But they can't build their own ships to get off of the planet. They can build now, Oliver. You've you've buried the very important part of of what it is that they're using to freeze everyone and turn them into the cubes. Oh yes, I buried the lead. Go ahead, Doug. Is it is a little <laughs> belt worn button? On a black box that has like, I don't know, uh, a U-shape series of, I would say LEDs, but they were probably lights, bulbs, mm-hmm. that when they press the button, it goes, meep, <laughs> <laughs> and, and people freeze. And the whole time, these these villains are walking around with their hands on their hips and, and, and one hand on the buzzer all the time, like they're ready to answer a question on Family Feud or something like that. <laughs> And then I noticed that this episode becomes all about the button and who is willing to press the button. Yes. Right. So, yeah. And so obviously they, we, you know, they have to assume uh, human form in order to live on the enterprise, because as Kirk says, a hundred tentacled being will have trouble fitting in a turbo lift. Yeah, but, but but it was the thing is is that yeah they thought that one through, which I liked. They didn't mean to make them so outworldly that you know a hundred tentacles and all this kind of stuff. Well, I I mean I think they have to you know if they if they made them into fuzzy teddy bears, they wouldn't seem as non-human, right? And that's what this in the end comes down to being about is they are not human. Mm. And in the end, the way that they are defeated is by being treated as humans. And the the way to peace is by treating someone as a human. Yes. So that I can, you know, they kind of need to build a world where, trust me, they are horrible beings because they are multi-tentacled. Ew, gross. As opposed to a cute monkey. No, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that it's no. unrealistic. You know. Oh, that, for sure. Yeah. You know. Um, anyway, so uh, they have to cross the uh, energy barrier that divides the galaxies. Uh, during this point, they they seem awfully close to it, but we'll get there. And because the uh, the Enterprise crew, well, a they've all been turned into cubes except for four people. But there's nothing that they can do to approach, to get away from the boxes, as it were. So Scotty and uh, Spock devise this plan of, and I'm a little unsure of the science, but then again, I'm not a science, of basically making the Enterprise a positive charge. So mm-hmm. when it enters this barrier, which is a negative charge, it will blow up. It will self-destruct, therefore killing all of these Kelvin. Now that... Kirk doesn't allow that to happen, so that's brought up. 
But then they come up with a master plan otherwise, is that they notice that these hundred tentacle people don't have any senses. I don't know how that works. But they don't have human senses, of course. So they figure that the best way to distract these aliens is to fill their senses with different things. Uh, <laughs> it, John Denver defense. You I know. Fill up my I know. Senses. I know. You, I know. Never tell Jason, new Jason, that I referenced John Denver. I'll never hear the end of it. So, um, of course, you know where this is leading. You know, Kirk, you know, has to be, has to get in the boink fest with uh, Kalinda. But, uh, they take one and they feed him and then Scotty, of course, gets him drunk because that's the only, you know, Scotty is, that's his, that's his claim to fame is getting other people drunk. That scene makes this whole episode worth it. Oh, you think so? Oh, I love that. This, this is the point where they're, they're finally, they're not taking themselves overly seriously and. Spock has has kind of shown this in the other episode as well. But seeing Scotty doing his sort of let's get drunk uh, and, you know, saying this is a gentleman, this is a gentleman, it's green uh, when he's when he's so drunk, he can't say the word Ganymede. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that was that was really for me delightful to see because I was actually able to sort of laugh a bit at it And it. I think in terms of showing the humanity which was kind of their point. Um, it really kind of, you know, humor is definitely a big, big part of humanity. And for them to kind of go through that and have that intertwined in the way that these, you know, especially the the three or the, you know, the, the big three, Kirk and McCoy and, and Spock already are kind of quipping at each other regularly in a sort of slightly humorous way. It's finally kind of just said, okay, well, let's screw it. Let's just get, let's have like a comedy bit in the middle of this even though somebody's already been murdered. <laughs> like, like let's, 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 let's bring it up a bit. And I, 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 I appreciated that sequence of watching Scotty get drunk with mm-hmm. Thor or whatever his name was. <laughs> well, perhaps the, perhaps the problem is Doug is that I am very uncomfortable with drunk people in real life. Could be. Yeah. Which is, which is one of the reasons I have never been drunk in my life. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the problem here. Cause I didn't find that funny at all. I just thought it was, typecasting and dumb well i mean there is the problem that it is a bit typecast and i mean like look scotty does not play a good drunk but um it was just i found it uh i found it the humor of it was was enjoyable for me okay well yeah it's just you know different you know but uh also uh uh mccoy starts filling up one of the one of the aliens whose name is uh hanar and uh, I bring this up because everybody in the episode calls him Hanar, except for for Shatner. Shatner keeps on calling him calling him Hanner, and I'm like, this is <laughs> this is like he doesn't give a shit. He just he, yeah. he's done with this. Yeah. Well, and that's the idea. Is he's he's trying to get them all like uh, frustrated. Yes. Right. Trying to stimulate them, overstimulate. Yes. Them. Uh, so he's, so, uh, that's his little plan of getting Hanar, as Shatner calls him, uh, uh, pissed off. And then of course, Rojan, uh, starts to feel jealous because Kalinda, of course, is doing the usual with Kirk. And this somehow allows the Enterprise to kind of convince them that they're not ready for this. And it's just a weird ending yeah. Added on to the fact that these people admit that they are conquerors, 
why would you allow them in the Federation? Yeah. Yeah. It, it I, I thought it was a, like the whole ending is very abrupt. Yes. Kirk, Kirk and Rojan are in the middle of a, a fight basically over the love of Kalinda. Kalinda. And uh, the, again, Kirk l- delivers a great line in the middle of this where um, McCoy and uh, Spock come to the door and uh, Kirk gets kind of tossed into them and he, they hold him, they support him. And he says, I'm stimulating him. And then he goes back to the fight, which was a good, another little campy moment. Right. But yeah, all of a sudden, somehow Kirk gets through to him, I guess, by saying, this is what it's like to be human. And you are going to be a human for the next 300 years. And by the time you reach your planet, you will be a human and you will be you and your descendants, more importantly, will all be human and will be enemies of the people that you are going back to save. So let's work together. And the line of you would, you would allow conquerors into the Federation and Kirk says, no, but we would allow friends uh, somehow turns them around Yeah, and ends it all, ties it up in a bow really quickly. Uh, They turn the ship around and take off and we don't see, like we don't see any of the, the, people who have been turned into cubes turn back into humans we don't see yeah we, there's no, no they're not they're not decubed no like nobody pays for the death of the yeoman yeah and you know it raises all these questions now because like these the kelvins have now turned the enterprise into um like a dragster that can go warp 11 apparently or warp 13 right yes so does it yes. mean that the, the <laughs> yeah. enterprise is upgraded for good now no, because because we're told that it can't go past nine point nine. Later, you mean? Yeah. So yes. it, yeah. it could for that moment. So what happens? Like, do they does the does the Federation say, "Hey, hey, no, you can't have it." That that souped up, you know? I, I I don't know. They had an episode on the Next Generation about there being a speed limit in the Federation. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, maybe maybe it's a difference between you know kilometers per hour yeah. and miles per hour. You know, it's like the new metric, the decimalization and stuff like that. But and then like, does the Federation get the freeze rate technology now? You because yeah, because they've got it on board. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of questions that kind of um come up in this. Just just get it just for the simple fact to train Shatner how to freeze, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Now, we did mention a, a Doug mentioned a few seconds ago about fight scenes. Okay. Go back. It's in the first 15 minutes. You have to go and rewatch the Shatner chop on Kalinda. It is hilarious. I, the, the note I have on this, where where is it? It's like, um, basically, I think I wrote down, the chop on Kalinda is shit. <laughs> Here it is. Kirk seems to deliver the knockout chop on Kalinda after she has already passed out. Yes. It really is shit acting on both parts. Thank goodness for modern fight choreography. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Now, now there are some parts of this show. I mean, actually, I kind of enjoyed this episode. Strangely enough, okay. for for all of its faults, I appreciated the uh, the remastered uh, beam down shot of the, the planet. Yes, I thought that was that was really good yeah. in the way that it and even the orbit shot before they beam down was kind of nice. Oh, the orbit shot was gorgeous. Um, and yeah. so the the beam down wide shot of the planet worked quite well. I thought that the rocks 
on the planet when they actually got to the set right. did not look too bad. Okay. They looked pretty darn good. Not too styrofoam I, Okay. I, I do agree that there was a lot of AstroTurf. Yes. <laughs> Tele- on our current televisions, we could definitely see that, no problem. Yes. But I think that the Greens Department probably changed from the Apple episode yeah. to here because I think they they were... I think they created a nice, a nice planet, like a good set. Like it was, you know, it wasn't over the top. There wasn't forks growing out of the ground. There wasn't like feathers being used as plants. It was sort of like bamboo and grass and kind of trees. And it was believable. Right. And so I really appreciated that. Where this episode starts to fall down for me is the weird buzzer on the belt. Like why, like, yeah, there's a couple of moments that, that like, the decisions that were made for this episode, I think, were just as flippant as as you know could be. Um, the buzzer on the belt. Why was it a box on the belt? Why wasn't it a wand or a gun or whatever? Sure, you know, like I'd love to be in the room when they decided that. Mm-hmm. Apparently, from my reading, my research, I did have a little bit of time at work today. Right. The idea to go to the Cubocdahedrons came about because uh, one of the writers, I think, had. Uh, an onyx cuboctahedron in his office. He had been give, it had been given to him by somebody as a gift, and he was like, hmm, "Okay, why don't we make them turn into this?" <laughs> and so they did it, and it was like, "Okay, great!" Like you know, we we draw our inspiration oh from so many things. <laughs> I am, and I. The funny thing is that as soon as I saw them turn into the cuboctahedron, I went, yes. "Hey, cuboctahedron." <laughs> because I had a I had a class in my third year university at architecture school uh, where I built all of the uh, the polyhedra mm-hmm. and the cube octahedron is created by uh, you take a regular cube and you cut off all the corners in a regular pyramid not a pyramid but um, right oh uh, poly uh, the quadrahedron right and it makes this interesting shape so I'm, I built a bong out of it but uh, not, a, not a bong <laughs> but a bong b o n g um so that that was kind of fun uh i enjoyed that but um yeah this was uh i you know this sorry i'm going on probably too long about this episode but can we talk about the captain's log sure how is it and this this happens in so many episodes how is it that kirk is entering a captain's log while he's being held prisoner because this happens a lot it happens a lot and it's one of those little mysteries in life and it's usually when he's taken prisoner, his communicator is taken away from him. So don't try that excuse with me, people. Yeah. Like, and, and, and the way that he delivers it, it is in present tense. Yes. So does he have, a, do you think he has maybe a notebook in his pocket or something like that, that they don't find? Is it, does he have a shoe phone? <laughs> is it a Vulcan mind meld? Is that is or is yeah. is it sort of a Spock thing where like they get it out of his I, head because uh, he's thought of it? I, I, I Doug, yeah, it's like the caramel secret. I have no idea. <laughs> and speaking of caramel secret, the food on the plate. I'm pretty sure it was marshmallows. Yes. So uh, that was pretty interesting. Uh, yes. Yeah. I. You know what? I actually I, I kind of enjoyed this episode and. I started thinking about like this whole sort of make them, you know, treat them as humans, you know, treating someone as a human is sort of the first, the first step in, in peace. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that this, the way that it was presented in this, I think worked pretty well, even though they tied it up very quickly in a bow, very, 
you know, neatly in the end. And mm-hmm. it was kind of confusing as to what was going on. I, I, I really wonder if this was sort of a, were they trying to say that, like in terms of like, you know, do we treat our enemies as humans? Like, why are we villain? Why is it that the people that we villainize, we treat them as non-humans? Is this a response to World War II? Is this a response to, you know, the, the Russians? Uh, are they saying that the Soviets aren't human? This is why they're enemies, they're conquerors. I, I think there was a lot coming out of this. I This was co-written by uh, Dorothy Fontana, who, of course, is revered within Star Trek world. Mm-hmm. This was not one of her better efforts, however. I don't know if there was a point to this, what she was getting at, because it was way over my head then. Um, I, I don't know. I am mm-hmm. I give this episode two and a half out of ten. I think it sounds to me like Doug is going to give it about a six. But no, I mean, it's still no. it's still like a four. But okay, but I mean, it's it's like a meh plus, and it's like you know, if the other episodes I was watching were awful plus or awful minus, right? Like, this is this, uh, I think it was the, sh- the sheer lack of things that really bothered me <laughs> in, in this episode, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't okay, hate it is really okay. the sort of faintest the way that I can damn, damn it with the faintest praise, right? Is like, I didn't hate it. I don't know if I like this episode better than the other one. It's I'm still up in in the air, but it, it's of the whatever, however many we've watched so far for this. I I, I kind of enjoyed it, you know, for even with its flaws, you know. Like I liked. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a scene where uh, Nimoy is doing his best Mean Girl thing to uh, Rojan, where he basically they're sitting playing chess and they, they're you know they're getting all nerdy and and mm-hmm. you know so Spock is winning with his with his intellect and he basically says you know like hey, you know oh yes. Galinda yes she likes she likes Kirk and I think Kirk can con- con- control her better than you can you know how um so I thought that it was you know. It was interesting. I think that this episode has the camp of like a trouble with tribbles episode. It was sort of, mm-hmm. it sort of lived in that world. And and for that, I think that's what I think of when I think of uh, Star Trek, whether that's good or bad. That's, I kind of think of the trouble with tribbles. I think of mm-hmm. the one with Ron Howard's uh, brother uh, as the, the baby, right? Like I think of the sort of the real campiness of it. And and this does this does the camp in a way that I that I enjoy. Well, I I just as a final question, uh, how does this guy know how to play three dimensional chess in a day? <laughs> Again, <laughs> he's very smart. I was wondering about that. Anyway, he's very smart. <laughs> that's our that's our carve. Now we must get to the protein. And this episode, I think, since Doug has already used the term, I would say this is map plus. Yeah. Uh, it is not a great episode, but it is a good episode. Um, there's a certain sweetness to it, but also I think that um, there's some two very fascinating performances in this. We were talking about Return yeah. to Tomorrow, which is also a second season. Uh, as I said, this came before, two episodes before by any other name. And uh, this is also the debut of Diana Moldar. And uh, everything went downhill in her Star Trek world from here. <laughs> in this particular episode, I think she's quite good. Then came, uh, uh, is there in truth no beauty? Horrible. And then, of course, her season-long Dr. McCoy impression that really did not work on Next, on, on, uh, Next Generation. In this, she's, she's, she's good. Uh, this is basically uh, an episode where uh, we have the almighty beings 
taking over uh, our favorite crew. And what you think may be happening doesn't. Uh, As I said, there's a certain sweetness to this. Uh, They are called to a planet. The planet is not named. And it's very interesting that Spock says that they're a hundred light years outside of where anybody's gone in the Federation, which to me is a very good scene setting uh, mechanism uh, for the whole series that they actually are explorers. Uh, they are called to this planet. They have to beam down a hundred miles of rock, which McCoy strenuously objects to. <laughs> and Scotty does too, to uh, find these three minds that just want to borrow the bodies of uh, Kirk, Spock, and uh, Diana Moldar's character, uh, whose name is uh, Anne Mulhall. And uh, they want to uh, build robots for themselves, because they know how to do this, but they need, of course, people to do it. So they want to take over the bodies and then return the bodies uh, back. Now, one of the interesting things is that this planet destroyed itself half a million years ago. And uh, they saved everybody's mind of the important people. And the guy who goes into Spock was the enemy of uh, Sargon, who is, the, who is the one who takes over Kirk. Fun fact, Sargon's voice, with a whole lot of reverb, is James Doohan. Mm-hmm. He, they were enemies. So... <sighs> They, I didn't get that. Wow, I, I miss, I must have missed that. Part. Yes. Huh. All right. Makes sense. Yes, they were on, they were on each other's side of the warring factions. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, we have to talk about two acting performances here that make this episode good. First of all, have we said the name of it. It's Return to Tomorrow is the name of it. Return episode. to Tomorrow. Yes. Okay. If you ever wanted the full Shatner experience. My God, this is Exhibit A. Oh, boy. Oh, Oh, during the whole business, risk is our business soliloquy. My God. I I can, you know what, in comparison to him being taken over. Right. uh, Like during his possession. Oh, it's uh, the, oh. the risk is our business speech is, is, is great. You know, like, but when, when, um, uh, the, Alien takes over his body and he does the basically it's this like orgasmic overacting oh, yeah. oh, oh. where he's like feeling my heartbeat and it's the expressions on his face it's like geez come on man like th- there's probably children watching this like just tone it down a bit like wow are you suge- are you suggesting that Shatner needed a Clara warning oh boy oh boy did he ever <laughs> um Shatner, well, first, the risk is my business speech is just, it's, it's so Shatner. It's stopping, it's starting, it's emphasizing things in the wrong places. I mean, Doug is correct. Like anytime any kind of body movement stuff happens, it's full Shakespearean ridiculousness. This episode is just, if you've seen any impression whether it be uh, Kevin Pollack or anybody else who does Shatner J. Moore, this is this was the source material for this episode. Yeah, it is just. I think I think um, uh, Jason Alexander does a Shatner impression as well. Uh, yes, this is this is all the source material. Yeah, the other great performance in this is 
from Leonard Nimoy. And oh, beautiful chef's kiss. <laughs> the thing is, is we've already seen him evil, of course, because Mirror Mirror came before this episode. But where he was evil in um, Mirror Mirror, I'm going to describe it this way: he wasn't evil. He was evil. <laughs> like, like if, if he yeah. had a mustache, he would be twirling it in this episode. Well, in this episode, he's just a shit. Really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what he is, right? He's just a he's just a jerk, right? <laughs> but he's like, I can understand him. It's like, yeah, I got a body now. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to leave this body. Yeah. Uh, but it's so, for me, it was very nice to see a different Spock. Um, yes. And, it must have been fun for Nimoy. Yeah. And you can see, I think you can see it. Like the smile, he's finally able to smile on camera, right? And he's right. able to, he's able to give the quips. He's able to laugh on camera, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and actually have a human movement. Like his, right. his actual, like his lean, the, the lean that he would do, he could, he says so much more in the way that he leans against the doorway to the lab where they're working on the, the, the robot bodies, the robots, mm-hmm. um, then then Shatner does in his whole overacting about being uh, possessed because it, it you could just see what a shit that that Spock is being at this moment. It, it's uh, I think it was just brilliant. Chef's kiss, ten out of ten acting. Doug is ac- ac- absolutely uh, accurate in this. Is you can see the difference between Nimoy and Shatner just by their body movements. Mm-hmm. Again, Shatner is all big gestures and ridiculousness, and yet we've just had someone talk about how Spock, how Nimoy leans well for a minute. Yeah, I mean that's the difference, yeah. right? Well, it's exactly what Candace was saying. Yeah, you know, you know, Shatner's acting for the 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 back row, yes. in, on a, on a stage, whereas Spock is like you know Nimoy is like he's just acting, he's being yeah. a person, right? And I, I think that it just comes off really really well in this episode. So. Kirk, Spock, and Mulhall allow these aliens to inhabit them so they can build these robots for their minds to go into after they're finished with the humans. And the sweet part of this is that um, the one who inhabits uh, uh, Kirk and, of course, the one who inhabits uh, Mulhall are married. And they haven't seen each other for 500,000 years. Mm -hmm. There's a respectable kind of... uh, They respect the bodies that they're in. They know that they're boring them. Um, so they can't, they're very disciplined. Uh, so there's no boinking in this particular episode or implied boinking. I kind of expected it at early in the episode, but then I realized, no, these, this, they need to remain. No, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't use someone else's body. I mean, so they were very woke if we're going to, if I can use that term. But, uh, of course the enemy goes into Spock and mustache twirling commences, um and uh, he's not gonna leave there's no way he wants to leave no so he wants to stay in spock thalesa who is the wife wants to stay in in mulhall for a little for she's on the fence yeah um and sargon who is the big boss in all of this of course because he's in kirk uh he wants no part of this he's ethical to the core you know he's he's keeping up to his word so then we get in the back end of the episode, we get into all these little tricks because everybody can read each other's minds and all this kind of stuff. And everybody, kn- somehow Sargon knows what Spock's person was doing. Yeah. It's all a, it's all a bit of a Benny Hill sketch for that kind of stuff. But this episode overall, I, I think was, 
See, I would give this a 6 out of 10. Good, not great, but I think there was a certain... Uh, you take the bad acting of Shatner and you take the great acting of Nimoy and you add a little sweetness to this romance without it being too fawning. And I think it's a pretty good episode. I Yeah, I agree. I think that it was... Um, yeah, it's a strong 5, a weak 6. Yeah, okay. I, I think that there was some very refreshing moments in this in that you know it's an episode where the aliens are not the immediate enemy no right um that's a good point but it's also an episode where it really doesn't matter like it doesn't really matter that it's the the enterprise crew in a way because they they're pretty much just meat puppets for the majority of the episode yes like they don't really they don't really figure much into like defeating the bad guy in the end like it's it's Sargon that kind of does it. Well, Christine does. Well, she does she? Like, or she? Well, no, because she's a meat puppet too. Yeah, yeah, she's kind of like they're all just kind of meat puppets in this, and yeah, and it's Sargon kind of figures it out because he's all knowing, and he kind of makes them think that they need to. In the end, they end up having to kill Spock. Yes, because, because uh, but not really. One guy will yeah. not go out, yeah. and and the guy who is in, Sargon who has inhabited Kirk is in, injected with um, a, a syringe of, of uh, medicine that's supposed to lower their heart rate and keep them um, keep them healthy while the aliens are in them. I mean, it's all details that really don't matter. Mm. Um, but Kirk ends up being killed in, in ex, you know, in cult marks. He, you know, he gets brought back to life by bones because of you know, reasons. reasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but Sargon has now disappeared into the ether, we believe that he's gone. Yes, with the laser, yes. Yeah, and um, and so then they, they think, okay, well, now we need... To, and during all of that, the, the, little, the little ping pong balls, well, the big ping pong balls that they were living in have been destroyed, and so now they, they decide, okay, we have to get rid of Spock, who was in one of the ping pong balls, is now, he's gone, he's dead, so we got to kill Spock's body because the bad guy's in there. And, you know, it's like... Uh, it happens, <laughs> but in the end, he doesn't kill him. Like, there, it's yeah, it's a bit confusing in terms of like the things that actually happen in this. But I think that as a as a whole, it it does again bring up this sort of question of humanity and what it means to be human. Yes, I think that it you know the apparently the the writer I think or the director somebody I think it was the director he went by. Um, basically an Alan Smithy name. Right. Uh, he went by a different name because he didn't agree with Roddenberry's choice of basically having uh, Talasa and um, Sargon uh, agree to just leave right. and fade off into oblivion. It was the writer. It was the writer who Alan. The writer? Yeah, it was the writer who Alan Smithy did. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and so in the end uh, there was an argument where, you know, you know um is like, well, you know, they're, spirits don't stick around they they disappear into oblivion and they're gone right things are done uh, and and the writer was like no this goes against my ca- good catholic heritage you're a ghost now and you live right. your spirit lives on <laughs> right. in, in whatever right in the in whatever oblivion is right so it's uh it, it's interesting because you can see that there was a bit of rewrite problems i think towards the end in terms of how to solve the 
solve the problem of the great ping pong ball mines. But um, yeah, it was, as I said, it was a bit of a Benny Hill sketch. Like yeah. people are running around, you know, nobody knows what's going on and that kind of thing. The, so the ending's a little weak, but uh, my God, I'd love to recommend that you watch Nimoy and I strongly do, but you've got to see Shatner. It's just crazy. Yeah. I, you know, in, in I think like, as you said, um, they kind of, they, they cancel each other out in in this in terms of the bad the bad Shatner versus the good Nimoy, it yeah. it ends up being um, pretty decent, you know. And in terms of set design, you know, they they again they really only went off the ship for about like like a couple minutes. They went to one other set, it, but it was but it was funny. It was kind of like the same as the prison in by yeah. by like it's all very glossy rocks. It's like yeah, they buff the rocks. <laughs> Well, I was beginning to wonder whether they're making out of garbage bags or something like that. It's a real shine to them. Yeah. But, you know, in the end, it wasn't a terrible set. Like the the sort of antechamber that they, they beam down into where they say it's made of some crazy metal that they don't know what it is. You know, it has these great vertical lighting strips in it. Uh, of course, once again, it's the perfect, perfectly flat concrete polished floors of the studio that they're standing on. Yes. <laughs> But, well, the uh, one thing—the one thing that I saw—and I thought, "Oh, Doug's going to have a fit over this," um, was um, as Doug has described, the ping pong balls mm-hmm. are kind of set on on these stands, and the st- half of the stands are wood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, like, "Where do they get oh the wood? My God. <laughs> Where's this wood coming from?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, at first I had a, I was like, oh my God, what is, you know, my, my, I wrote down here, is there an old adage about not acting with spheres like there is uh, children and dogs? Yeah. Because like they spend like a good portion of the episode just talking to like enormous lampshades. Right. um, Yeah. Like, like globes, like basically these things are, it's like a good 18 inches diameter. Uh, It's a nice fiberglass globe. I, you know, they probably had to search high and low to get those things, but you know, they've stuffed them full of like some light bulbs that flicker on and off as they're talking. Right. But like, you know, it was, it was uh, not enough of a strangeness to pull me out of the episode and say, Oh my God, this sucks. It, I, I, right. I could accept it for some reason, you know, uh, for whatever reason. It's not makeup on the yeah, walls. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but like, uh, I wanted to go back to uh, Kirk's uh, speech, though, about we choose, you know, we choose to, right. to do these things. Uh, I found it amazing that uh, he mentions the Apollo landing on the moon. Right. Uh, and when this aired, it was 10 months before uh man actually did land on the moon right yeah so he didn't they didn't even know that it was actually going to happen they had a good idea right but when they originally wrote this episode when this script was originally written the very first apollo mission i believe it was um there there was like three people that died that's when the fire happened yeah yeah and you know they went with all these unmanned missions for however long until actually somebody landed on the moon like that the the yeah. speech i actually like when you read the actual speech had it been delivered by somebody who was, didn't think that they were in a Shakespearean play, it's actually a pretty good speech. Well, that's the problem with 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 Shatner is you're looking at all the ticks of the ridiculousness that you you kind of you kind of bury what they what the actual script says. It must have been very difficult for script people with Shatner, yeah, because he just ate so much scenery that you know. And we've spoken about it before. 
Star Trek, Star Trek, and scenery chewing is a is, is a synonym. Um, yeah, but you know when we talked about the let that be your last battlefield and Gorshin just just he's like Pac Man, he's just eating so much scenery, <laughs> but it works because there's an overriding thing that he never lets go of. Mm-hmm. Shatner is like I'm Shatner. I don't care what the words are, but you need for for me to say them. Yeah. He's like this great orator. And I'm like, no. Yeah. There were, I mean, there were a couple things in this show that like in this episode that sort of did pull me out for a moment. Like there was, um, (laughs) when, when they start in the ante room and, uh, they eventually say, you know, like come into the other room. All I could think of is the scene out of Baron Munchausen when they, um, (laughs) when they, land and they see come and see the bold anyway the god um and he he basically he wants to bring them in to see um the ballroom and all he says is come and see the ballroom come and see the ballroom well of course that's what they're doing is they're going in this episode they're going to see the ballroom where all the balls are stored it's just like this is just i just started laughing because all i could think of was that this is a ballroom Right. And and I just found that incredibly funny. And of course, then that's when, like shortly after they're in front of the, all these blinking balls that uh, Bones finally mentions that Kirk, actually his Kirk, he's mentioned that Kirk is like elevated in, in heart rate and temperature like several times. But we don't see that in Kirk uh, until finally, I think it's mentioned for the third or fourth time and they cut away. Mm-hmm. And they cut back and he's immediately no. drenched in sweat. <laughs> and I was like, guys, could you not put a little bit slower? Yes. Yes. <laughs> someone someone was a little over enthusiastic with the spray bottle. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, we oh we forgot to we forgot to drench him. So yeah. and I can from what I've read, I can see why that would happen. Apparently during uh this period, especially. They were leaving at the at six twelve p.m. or six eighteen, depending on who you ask. Basically, if you if they were in the middle of a scene and in the time turned to six twelve or six eighteen p.m., they basically said, "That's it. It's a wrap." They shut the lights down, and basically the whole crew had fifteen, twelve, twelve or eighteen minutes, whatever you whichever story you listen to, to pack up their shit and get the hell out of there. Really. Because they did not want to go into overtime. They were running so cheaply. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. And so they would rush through Mm -hmm. all of their takes and, you know, like, yeah, okay, we forgot to hose, (laughs) we forgot to hose Shatner down in these scenes where he's supposed to be hot and sweaty. Now we remembered, okay. Mm. And you can see that this is why a lot of the weird continuity stuff can really start to happen. And, and I think it's an example of, of where, you know, I think you and Steve were talking about this uh, a couple episodes ago about like why a script changes, uh, to, like to to be how it can get so bad and so so poorly done. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I read a lot of scripts where it starts off with these really grandiose ideas, and then you know you start to break it down. It's like it's going to cost way too much to make this thing. We cannot spend the whole budget of the whole series on this one episode. So you right. have to start making choices to get rid of things, to change the story. And these guys don't have a lot of time because they have to rewrite things, you know, five, six times before we actually get to camera. Mm-hmm. And then even while we're filming, things are getting changed. Usually it's dialogue. 
very little of it has to do with major set pieces, but sometimes it happens. And so I can see that this is this is probably what's happening with all of Star Trek, really, in the original series, is that I think they were a victim of grandiose ideas with little money that nobody wanted to throw towards it. Well, I, I would I, I would argue that the first season they did you know? uh, for 60 standards. Uh, yeah. But by the second season, no. Yeah. And the third season is laughable. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a shame because I think that the ideas in this episode, in both of these episodes, are strong. Like like in many of the episodes, like in mm. So the World is Hollow or The World is Hollow. And so I've touched the sky. Like all of these episodes, they like I've said before, they start as really, really great sketches of what the episode right. should really be. Had they been given the actual resources and the talent mm -hmm. in some cases to make a really good episode. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in the end we get meh plus. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. That's the, uh, Doug's giving it a solid uh, five week six. I'm giving it a solid six. Yep. Is it something you should search out? Well, just for the Shatner, but otherwise uh, if it's on TV, you know, if you're flipping around and it's on, it's on a streaming channel or something like that, just sit and enjoy it. I think you will. Uh, and uh, so yeah, that I, th I think if you're looking if you're looking for like a dozen episodes to watch, you you include this one. Yeah, it's a palate cleanser. You know, yeah, uh, it's light. Yeah, it's it's light enough. Doug, thank you so much for joining me again. How can people get in touch with you for not only your views on Star Trek, but of course, Pizza News Flash? Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Slugor. That's S-L-U-G-O-R-E. Uh, you can, I did put up my pizza recipes on my website, uh, which is where the, my podcast Slug is Doug is, uh, hosted. It's, uh, slugisdug.wordpress.com. Yeah. And you can, you can see what, what my latest work was in, uh, season three of The Boys. Uh, and, uh, there we go. Okay. People, season three of The Boys. It was a lot of fun. Unbelievable. Highly, re highly recommend. It was a lot of fun. It is hilarious at some points. Yes. It is not yep. for people under 18. Nope. Clara warning. Yeah. Big Clara warning. One of us. I'm going to say, I'm going to say most human being warning. Yes. Really. <laughs> one episode <laughs> is titled Hero Gasm. Yeah. Take it from there. Yep. <laughs> you can get, uh, you can find more of uh, our stuff at. On Twitter, at 78EpisodesPod, please come and join the, our burgeoning family over there and uh, say hello. And uh, until next time, kids, nerdos, thank you, Doug, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Toodles, kids. Toodles. Bye.